Good morning, everybody. Good to be with you this morning. Good to be back with you. It's good to take a break. Always good to get away and always good to come back. It's always good to have some great preachers in line as well. Would you say a good word of thanks to Reverend Gracie and Reverend Doug for having preached these last couple of weeks? We are grateful to them and grateful to continue this journey of faith. Uh, this series we're in, a, a Tale as Old as Time, kind of evokes both emotion and the tales that we love to hear and, and experience, right? We all love stories. We all love the tales that come to us, whether they're fairy tales or movies or whatever, right? And one of the things I've discovered over time is the, the tales that we seem to like the most are when the underdog overcomes, right? And we hear them from some of the most famous of the fairy tales in particular, right? Like Cinderella is the underdog who overcomes, right? Even Beauty and the Beast that we're about to produce in a couple of weeks, uh, they've been rehearsing really well. That's about the beast getting the beauty, right? The underdog that you wouldn't expect gets the beauty and they have a great relationship. We love these underdog tales. If you're as old as me, when you reflect on the movies, you, you reflect on the Rocky series, right? The, the underdog who overcame, right? And now in its like 15th iteration with Creed 15 or something like that, right? All of the underdogs, they overcome. And we love these stories because they empower us and they help us to, to realize and to, to uh, believe that we might be able to overcome in some form or fashion, right? We love the underdog. Scripture is full of underdogs as well. From the very beginning in Genesis, we see uh, what we've sometimes referred to as the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And those are underdogs. We never heard of Abraham until all of a sudden he's mentioned in Scripture, and then he becomes the father of many nations, right? The great ancestor of all the world religions. And his boy Isaac is named laughter because it may, he makes his mama laugh when she's told he's going to come, right? And then his, his grandson Jacob is the heel who grabs his brother's heel out of the womb. They're, they're underdogs who seem to overcome even Moses in the Scriptures. We don't hear much about him until all of a sudden he is uh, running away and then he takes his people out of slavery and bondage into freedom, into the promised land. He's an underdog who overcomes. Even Jesus, we could say, is an underdog, right? He's a Savior, we know, but he comes out of a small community. He comes out of poverty. He rides into uh, Jerusalem on a donkey rather than a white stallion, right? He is the king who has a crown of thorns rather than a crown of golden jewels. He is an underdog who overcomes. We love these stories. And the stories help us to feel and know that somehow we can achieve these things even if we're not prepared or, or ready, right? And in Scripture in particular, what I love about the underdogs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David, Jesus, all of those, part of what we know is that they are underdogs because God is the only one who could make their achievements possible, right? God is the only one who could empower Abraham. God is the only one who could give Moses the right hand. God is the only one who could make David the king over a united nation, right? God is the only one who makes this true. And so part of what we glean in Scripture is that God is with the underdog, and God is for those who are the outcasts, and God helps provide a way when there seems to be no way. And what a gift that can become. And so today, in a tale as old as time, we face and look at the greatest story, perhaps, of all the children's stories in the Bible. We think of this story, even if we grew up in the church, and I know we didn't all grow up in the church, but if we did, it's one of the first stories we learned, David and Goliath. And it's a powerful story of the young David, who's a child who has very little going for him, 
and he conquers the great Goliath, right? And a part of what we glean from the story is that God is the one who empowered David. God is the one who made it possible for him to slay that giant. Well, I don't want to overstate the obvious, but the, the obvious is this. All our giants are always big, right? All giants are always big. And so whether your giant is a person in your life or a relationship in your life or a circumstance or an issue in your life, your giant is big, right? And, and a part of this realization helps us to know we've got to do something about this giant. Listen to the way Goliath is described to David and to others in the book of Samuel. Then Goliath, a Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall. He bore a bronze helmet and his bronze coat of mail weighed 125 pounds. That's a big boy, right? They don't get much bigger than that, right? Nine feet tall, wearing a coat of mail that weighs 125 pounds. You got to be a big sucker to hold that puppy up, right? And unless you're a Game of Thrones person, which I am not, you may not know what a coat of mail is. It's not a common everyday kind of word or phrase that we use. If you're not familiar with a coat of mail, it looks a little bit like this, right? It was the original Kevlar jacket. <laughs> It was the original bulletproof jacket, right? It protected the individual, the soldier from the, store, from the uh, sword or from the javelin, and it was foolproof, seemingly. And this is what Goliath is wearing. He is big, he's huge, and he's clearly fully protected, and the giants in our lives feel this way sometimes, don't they? And it's hard for us to fathom how to move forward with them and how to understand how to deal with them because we're just meek little old us. And we're not 100% sure how we're supposed to approach this giant, what we're supposed to do about this giant, how do we talk to this giant, what do we do, right? And sometimes our giants, whoever or whatever they are, they feel overwhelming, don't they? That's why we call them giants. I mean, again, whether an individual or a circumstance, it feels like we can't do anything about them. Listen to this description again of, of, of uh, Goliath. For 40 days... Every morning and evening, the Philistine champions strutted in front of the Israelite army. As soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away in fright. I don't know what your giant looks like, but does it ever feel like your giant is strutting in front of you? <laughs> kind of almost making fun of or, or certainly lauding it over you or making you feel less than, helping you to know that somehow you'll never be able to overcome them. I'm the giant, you're not, right? It feels as though they're strutting in front of us. And in, in fact, it feels like we might even want to run away, right, to, to get out of the picture. It doesn't become helpful. Well, I'm not sure what your giant is. For some of us, our giant is an illness that we're facing that is seems unconquerable. For others of us, it may be a failing marriage. It may be a job that feels like either a dead end or I just need to get out of it, or maybe I've just lost my job and I'm trying to find a new one. Perhaps it's an addiction that you or a loved one is facing. Maybe it's mental illness that you or a loved one is facing. 
Maybe for you, your giant is this whole political yuck that we face every day where it doesn't seem to make sense and we can't seem to agree and we can't seem to get along. I don't know what your giant is, but I know that you've got one because here's our reality. The first thing I want to acknowledge is that we've all got giants in our lives. And for some of us, it literally feels overwhelming. It feels as though I I have no way to move forward. I don't know how I'm going to deal with this. And for others of us, it's just a deep, dark nuisance, and it, it gets in the way, and it causes us to stumble and causes us concern on a regular basis. I don't know what your giant is, but here's your reality and mine. We've all got one. And we've got to figure out how to not ignore it, (laughs) how to not turn our backs from it, how to not look the other way, because that's our natural inclination, right? Our natural inclination is, that's a big boy, that's a big thing, I don't want to deal with it, I don't want to address it. If I just ignore it, surely it will go away. You guys ever deal with stuff that way? If I just ignore it, surely it will go away. I have sad news for us. It doesn't go away. In fact, when we ignore, turn the other, uh, uh, turn away, uh, the, the giant seems to get bigger. And Goliath seems mightier and taller, and that coat of mail often feels even heavier. Here's what I want you to hear. Your giant is big, but God is bigger. That's the good news of our story today is even as big as your giant is, God is even bigger. And David wants to help us learn a powerful lesson about this today that is applicable millennia ago and up to this very day when we face our giants because our giants are big and they do cause concern. But because God is bigger and God can help us conquer and God can help us slay, we've got to discover what David does. And that is that God can help us. You know, the Apostle Paul, who wrote so much of the New Testament, all of those letters to those church communities, he, he knew this reality as well. And I, I love the way he put it when he wrote to the church at Rome. He goes through a bit of a litany in, in Romans chapter 8 where he talks about I, there's all kinds of stuff that can get in our way that can be our giants, right? Uh, war and, and nakedness and peril and sword. And he goes through this whole list. And then in verse 37, he says, no. But even beyond all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. And that's the gift of what David begins to teach us, is that we can recognize that God is bigger than any of these giants and that God can help us slay whatever our giants may be. That's the gift that I want to move into. So here's, here's the second thing we can learn from David. Not only do we have giants in our lives, but uh, the second thing that David begins to teach us is we need to confront our giants. And all I mean by confront is face them, look them to square in the eye and identify that they are real and recognize that they are a part of our lives and look them straight in the face and acknowledge, I can overcome. I don't mean confrontation like get in a fight. I don't mean confrontation like make a ruckus. I just mean let's confront what's real and true and let's acknowledge that we can do something about it. That's what David did, right? I mean, can you imagine? He's literally a pipsqueak of a kid and all he has is a sling and a rock and he is gonna go full force at this giant of a man who can conquer armies and killed his thousands of people. But David, the little boy, because he knows he needs to confront is going to do that very thing. Here's what it takes to confront our giants. 
It takes courage and confidence to confront those giants. Now, courage is an interesting thing because some of us think, golly, if I, if, I, if I have courage, it means I've got every bravery thought and I'm a, I can do all this on my own. That's not what courage is. Courage acknowledges I'm afraid, I'm fearful, I don't know how this is going to work, and it acknowledges I'm going to do something about it. That's courage. Courage says, even though I'm afraid, even though I don't know, I'm going to step forward. That's courage. Now, confidence is an interesting thing because David had confidence, but it wasn't in himself. The confidence that we need when we confront our giants is confidence and trust in God, that somehow God can provide a way through or beyond this giant. Listen to how David identified his confidence and what gave him courage. In verse 37 of chapter 17, the Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. Wow. The God who rescued me from the lion and the bear? He's had a bit of history, hadn't he? He has a reason for which he can trust God. My hunch is you do too that you've been through a set of circumstances or a, 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 con, a, a conflict in your own life that you knew that God helped you, you knew that God pulled you through. Remember that and put confidence in the God who can provide and recognize that it is God who will provide, not you. That's the gift that David is leaning on. He's trusting in the God he's already seen work. He's trusting in the God who's done so much for him already. And so his confidence is in that God who will achieve this wonderful goal of helping him to conquer this giant. Now notice, and I'm sure you have, giants don't just give up. Giants don't just fall down. They don't just fold. This is what giants do. In response to J David's comment to Goliath, this is what he says. Am I a dog, he roared to David, that you come at me with a stick? And he cursed David by the names of his own gods. Come over here and I'll give your flesh to the birds and wild animals, Goliath yelled. <laughs> Doesn't that just make you feel warm and fuzzy? That the giants in our lives just keep coming at us? That they keep sort of, whether literally or metaphorically, yelling and screaming at us, pushing us in our face, laughing and scoffing at us and, and causing us to feel somehow small. That's the goal of every giant. But David wasn't afraid, was he? This little boy who'd done very little else and had only a small um, object to help achieve his goal placed his full trust and faith in the God who'd won for him and with him before. That's what God wants from us and for us. And it's a part of the lesson that David guides us with is that we can find strength in the God of love and that we can find strength in the God who created us. We can find strength who gives us the very breath of life and the God who's helped us before and the God who's loved us before and the God who's provided for us before. This God is the God we can trust. The Apostle Paul would write about this as well many times. When he wrote to the church at Ephesus, he, he spoke to them in the midst of all of their travail, and they weren't quite sure how to be faithful in the midst of a, a sinful world, right? 
And towards the end of his letter in the sixth chapter, he, he talks about the, the armor of God. That is to say that we've got to be prepared for a, a spiritual warfare because sometimes that's what our giants are causing for us is a spiritual warfare. And in part, what Paul writes to the uh, people at Ephesus when he's describing this is he says, finally, I want you to be strengthened by the Lord and the power of God's strength. In other words, rely on this strength, rely on this hope, rely on this God who has always, always been there for you before. Remember, this God is the God in whom we can place our courage and our confidence in order to move forward. Because the final thing that we need to realize that David recognizes oh so well is that he remembers that the battle belongs to God. It's not our battle. It's not our giant, is it? That giant's interfacing with us, and we face that giant every day, whatever it is. But the battle is not ours. It's God. Listen to how David recognizes this when he shares this good news. David replied to the Philistine, you come at me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. Today, the Lord will conquer you. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you us. You see, David knew, I'm sure, intrinsically that as a little boy who only had a sling and a stone, he couldn't do squat. But with the power and the presence and the strength and the hope of God, he could achieve a whole lot more when he recognized that it wasn't his battle, it was the Lord's battle. And I'm sure you're well aware of this. God has a pretty good track record of slaying giants, of overcoming, of pushing through, of helping out, of making possible what seemed to have no possibility at all. That's what God does, and that's what David trusted. You see, when all is said and done, what David did that day was trust in God. He had the courage enough to rely on God and the confident enough, a confidence enough of God to realize that God would take care of this and that God would provide a way. He could not, but he used his instrument and he became an instrument of God so that he could do what only God could do. But it took trust, which is one of the hardest things we humans in our mortality can do. It's hard to trust somebody else, isn't it? Because we all feel as though we can do it our way or we can do it the way or, or somehow we can just move beyond, but we can't. It's why the giants keep laughing at us because we need to give it to God. You won't know John Cavanaugh. He's a Jesuit priest. He's now deceased about a decade ago. But he grew up in the Catholic tradition, obviously, and in the Catholic Church, he's a well-regarded priest who uh, taught uh, philosophy at St. Louis University. He wrote many books on ethics. He helped many scores of thousands of folks who came to understand how to live faithfully in the Catholic tradition. 
But when he was young, in his young adulthood, and just became a priest, he didn't know what he was to do. He didn't understand where he should go or what God was calling him specifically to do. But he knew there could be a way to get an answer. So when he was about 26 years old, he went across the globe to India, to Calcutta, because in that tradition, Mother Teresa was the, was the person to go to, right? So his very first day there, he went to the House of the Dying, which was one of the powerful ministries of Mother Teresa, right? That, that there are people on the streets who would die in all kinds of uh, ingratitude and no one would ever know. But this House of the Dying where Mother Teresa worked was uh, offering hope and care and compassion to the homeless who were going to die. And he knew that if I could just uh, experience this, I would begin to discover some clarity in my life. And so John Kavanaugh went. The very first day he got there, uh, Mother, he met Mother Teresa, and, and she said to him, this is only Mother Teresa, right? The very first thing out of her mouth was, after she greeted him, what can I do for you? And his response was very quick, please pray for me. And she said, for what can I be praying? And he said, well, I'm, I'm in this turmoil in my life, and I'm, I've come all these thousands of miles to come here to get clarity for a direction in my life. Would you please pray for clarity for me? <laughs> and he was shocked when she said quite point blankly, no, I will not pray for clarity for you. And he said, but, but why? I, I don't understand. Uh, I have witnessed in you that you've had all of these years clarity about what you're called to and clarity about how you live for it and clarity about the way in which you do it. I don't understand. Why will you not pray for clarity for me? And she literally laughed out loud, he said. And she said, I've never had clarity about anything in all of my ministry. What I've had is trust in a God who will provide. And therefore, Mr. Kavanaugh, I will pray for you to trust God with your life. Friends, that's all David's teaching us. Whenever we face a giant in our lives, whenever we face a set of circumstances that seem insurmountable, whenever it feels as though there is a giant standing before us that it feels as though we will never overcome, trust that God is there with you and that God can provide a way. Jesus had some very profound words about this. The Gospel of Luke records when Jesus is talking to the disciples and they don't understand how they need to promote the gospel and the message of Jesus Christ. And he says very point blankly to them in Luke chapter 18, what is impossible for people is possible with God. What a powerful word that is. What a wonderful image it is for all of us to realize that when we face our giants, and they come, don't they? Some of us are facing seemingly insurmountable giants right now in our lives, and we don't know what to say or do, and David has given us a great way to approach our giants. Acknowledge that they're real, confront them face to face, and trust that this is God's battle not mine. And give it to God. Let God do what God does so well. It, doesn't, it clearly does not mean ignore it. It clearly does not mean turn our backs on it. But it does mean realize that this is not your struggle. This is for God to struggle with. And when we hand it over to God, guess what comes? Peace 
strength, hope. And who doesn't need a little of all three of those, right? So my prayer for each of us is that we will have faith to believe and trust to fulfill that somehow God will help us slay these, these uh, giants and that somehow God will provide a way where there seems no way. We love a good underdog story, don't we? And a part of what we trust and believe is that God is with us through all of these struggles and God will somehow provide a way beyond. Thanks be to God that we have this gift. Will you pray with me? Holy and loving God, thank you that in the midst of all of our struggles, in the midst of the giants that prevail sometimes and the, the huge components in our lives that seem like they are insurmountable, you are with us. You guide and strengthen us and you help us to face the future unafraid. So God, help us now to have courage and confidence in you that you may indeed help us move beyond whatever our giants are. God, this is our prayer, and we lift it in the name of Jesus, whom we know to be the Christ. Amen.